Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today we are joined by Dean Williams, a well-known business mentor from Goldsmiths University. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Innovation Conversation. Me and Harry are very happy to have with us today Dean Williams from Goldsmiths University. He's both uh, a well-known mentor, uh, connector, an enabler of good things, to, uh, good things and everything to do with startups. So Dean, thank you so much for, for being our guest here in the Innovation Conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Mm. Uh, me and Harry are very excited to have you here. Um, you have quite a big CV, quite a lot of stuff to tell mm. our audience about. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so my name is Dean Williams. I am a mentor. been doing this for over a decade now. Um, there's so many stories, so many great things upon this entrepreneurial journey that I've been on personally with my own business, Exclusive Visions, that I've done within my career as a mentor. But it's been fun. It's been fun from working in as a chef, qualified chef, cooked for the Arsenal team, cooked for Jay-Z and Beyonce, worked for the Royal Bank of Scotland, did that for five years, an amazing journey in there where I learned about business and that's what really got me going in regards to starting my whole entrepreneurial journey for myself. So it's been a beautiful decade and one year. <laughs> that's, but how, how do you get started like with all this? Because I know, and me and Harry both know that you advise a lot of startups on how to actually go to market, how to become a better company and also a company that, that lasts forever, right? Or for a longer period of time. Yeah, so for, yeah. <laughs> how do you even get started with this? Because it, it, there's so much information out there, but it's, it's hard to... To, to get it all together, right? Yeah, so my journey started back in, I think it was about 2010, mm-hmm. um, when I was working for the corporate and commercial um, part of Royal Bank of Scotland. And I was working with four gentlemen who had over 100 years experience between them. And for me, it was like going to university for free for two years, because mm-hmm. I was bombarding them with questions. Like, why doesn't this work? So why is this business growing? Why is this? And, and like, they were just telling me, and I was like, wow. But it was just one question that kept bugging me, which they didn't even have the answer for, was um, the reason why so many businesses failed within the first um, one to five years. And I was like, but with all this support and guidance out there, why are businesses failing, especially those from um, marginalized backgrounds? So it was that one question. I left the bank and I embarked on that from 2013 to now. And what I have learned along the way, it's not, the lack of cash or it's not having the right resources there's something which i'll go a bit deeper into it a bit later on but there's something which i've coined called the soft skills and the unsexy skills of business and businesses need to be able to marry these two to really have a great business and yeah it's the it was those two things which really got me thinking this is why so many businesses fail because you haven't mastered this but at the time, it was actually quite low. Um, actually, it was very hard to actually get a loan in the first place. So, yeah. Because I, I remember that was one of the first business bank accounts I ever opened up for my uh, cool. university spin out. And I shouldn't have put this on air, but we, we fibbed <laughs> on there and they gave us the money. And it was quite a lot of money they gave us on there. But they, uh, 
they were quite adamant about you know, the due diligence process, how it works, kind of you know, doing all these little loans and stuff. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, from a very early stage company that doesn't actually make any money, they're willing to give out loans based on obviously collateral debentures, but also going on, as I said, your, your own personal liability mm. as well. And I'm guessing being in that situation, how did you find it where you had all these SMEs come through who didn't have anything, but a big part of what the bank wants to do is give out these loans at these interest rates to make money. And it's, it's also you know, the aspect of selling, getting more money on that side. How, how did you go about that? Just help people out. See, in regards to the business side, um, in the corporate and commercial, it was big businesses making that like, 10 over seven figures. That's the type of business I was working with at the time. So startups and stuff, I didn't work on that side um, in the Royal Bank of Scotland, but I'm still going to touch upon your question, um, Harry. My biggest issue in regards to business loans, regardless if you're a startup or established, for me is if you cannot, if your business cannot pay that loan, you shouldn't be taking it out. And people say, oh, but I need the cash. No, you don't. You don't need the cash to start your business. You can bootstrap in the early beginning because my thing is, okay, you need to be able to get traction. You need to get proof of concept within your business model first before you even start thinking about taking out a loan because that I've seen so many people take out a business loan and the stress and uh, the, discomfort, the, the, the discomfort that comes with that is is crazy. So say again. I was say, what was the, uh, the worst thing that happened to them, would you say, in regards to... In regards to, did they lose their house? Did they lose their property? What's the downside of actually working with an actual bank itself? Okay, the worst case scenario, no, just with a bank, just in general, because banks is just one avenue that you can go to to get a business loan. There's so many different organizations out there that provide business loans for a business, um, especially in this day and age as well. But the worst scenario I've seen is people kill themselves. I've actually seen, like... People don't understand being an entrepreneur has a um, high suicide rate, uh, but people um, do, do not understand. And I'm talking from a global perspective because it's that failure that 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 you not achieving your goals and your passion that can be very demoralizing. And unfortunately, some people and even myself, I got to a real dark place when I wasn't um, achieving the things that I wanted to achieve. And I can see how people get there when you're got so many things riding on you and it's just not happening and it takes it can take you to that dark place how, how do you deal with those moments because you know i know you, you know a lot of startups you talk with a lot of startups and how do you advise people to go through those moments because we all have them and i think it's part of the entrepreneurial enter it's part of the journey right yeah so you're going to have them but how do you deal with it like for me now because i've had that experience of going through it i can really talk upon it now and i'll i'm just going to give you three things that i do with my businesses so what differentiates me compared to other business mentors out there is i care about you first before your business i know once i get you right once i've implemented the right infrastructures around you so you're good so i know these hard times are going to come but i'm preparing you beforehand and what I would do is especially um, with everything that I do, the first thing I get you to do is take inventory of yourself. So I will get you to look at your current circumstances, look at your circle, look at your community. What do you have around you? So when things may not go the way that you wanted to, that you have something to prop you up, to hold you up on. So who is it that you have in your corner? Do you have the right people? So do you have a therapist, a counselor in your corner? Um, if you're spiritual, like, are you, do you have a good connection to your pastor or your imam um, around you that you can actually talk to? Are you part of a community where you can literally just 
offload what, what you're going through and people cannot just sympathize but actually support you through this properly so getting people connected with the right individuals so those are the things okay that i get businesses and the business owners to implement um, in the journey from the very beginning interesting because there's a lot of talk and we, we actually spoke about a lot of uh, mental health in this podcast yes and it's it's i don't think people fully realize how big of a journey they're setting out to, to go on. Because yeah. when you start a business, think, okay, you know, I'm going to buy this, sell that, or I'm going to start this, and it's going to be super straightforward. But actually, it is very, very complex, right? There's a lot of highs and lows. So when you see people fail, what do you think happened for them to fail? Is there a common denominator that makes people, that you say, no, they're going to fail because they didn't comply with this and that? See, I want to tackle that question differently. And I want to really establish something. I don't see failure like how other people see failure. For me, and I'm, when I'm talking to my entrepreneurs, especially in the early stages, so I like to work with businesses between one and five years. You've got traction, you've got proof of concept, you understand the market that you want to go after. My thing, Kay, is I prepare you for failure. Failure is essential along this game because failure is a teacher. And if you're prepared to learn from your failure, and I said I put it into an acronym, first attempt in learning, for a lot of our business owners, this is the first time you're doing this. There's a lot of things that you don't know and you have to, like, there's the things that you don't know, what you don't know, there's the things that you have to learn and things you have to unlearn along this journey. So I prepare my mentees for failure and how I do that is like, I position you as entrepreneurial scientists. So you're going there with assumptions and hypotheses of how you're going to be growing your business. So it ain't about, oh, failure is bad. It's like, oh my God, failure as a teacher, why did this not work now? So that different type of mind frame takes that extra pressure off you. Like, oh, I have to succeed. I have to make money. Is that like, no, you have to collect data. Like that's your currency in the first 24 months of your business is the data. And can you understand that data? Can you extract the necessary information to make informed decisions? And that's how I position my mentees um, is to understand, okay, is a different types of mindset as you're growing that business. You start off and you always will be an entrepreneurial scientist regardless of the growth of your business. But in the early stages, it's, it releases you from that, oh, I have to succeed mentality to I have to learn. <laughs> but um, I was just saying, a big aspect of any entrepreneur is something called founder's ego. And having spoken to quite a few of the entrepreneurs you re recommended over for our event, that's hopefully taking place on the 6th of Feb. Mm -hmm. Again, big shout out to Akil on that side. A lot of the founders, they, they're very positive. They, they're, they're different to a lot that we kind of engage with at our events who uh, know what they're doing. They're very, you know, you know, shotgun approach. We know it. We've got it. This is us. But obviously you get you get the ones that know and they're very well grounded how do you approach the ones that aren't grounded who come to you like we know everything we don't want to listen to you and suddenly they you see them burn in probably six months time exactly that i leave them alone like there's like if you, unless you're prepared to learn unless you have that willingness to humble yourself the entrepreneurial game will humble you real quick and this is i <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. I had the entrepreneurial ego in the very beginning because why? I was like one of the best sellers within the Royal Bank of Scotland. And I worked on the customer side, the retail side of it. And I was able to get people to take out mortgages and credit cards and stuff. Yeah, from a legit standpoint, people I want to make sure this is crystal clear. But they actually had the need for these things because I'm very ethical in everything that I do. So... My thing was, um, I had that same attitude. I'm, if I can do this here, I can go anywhere and sell out. And the entrepreneurial game humbled me quickly. For the first seven years, I was making little to no money. Uh, even though 
I was going and upskilling myself and learning and everything else and it was it was hard and that's how I got to those dark places like how the hell is this happening like I'm putting in the work why is it not happening and stuff like that and I'm seeing people on stage who I felt that I was so much better than them but they were succeeding and I wasn't and things like that it was humbling so for me it was a massive wake-up call on my entrepreneurial journey to really be able to look at myself and take that time to reflect and say you know what I need help and that's what got me to where I am is when I humbled myself and said I need help went out there got mentors surrounded myself with people who are better than me and just shut up and listened it's a bit like <clears throat> people always say this about playing tennis but I guess it's the same the same thing for a lot of sports which is you should always play with someone who's a lot better than you so you can learn from them and you can up your game because if you practice with someone who's not as good as you are you become this cult leader and you know know it all and then you're like oh I'm ne- I can never do anything wrong but in reality you're still going to do a lot, of, a lot of mistakes and I think that's something when we look at, at everyone you talk to the ones that I always say you know they're going to go far are the ones who are very humble they're always asking questions how can I learn how can I improve right so I guess this is good what is the big no no what's the one thing you would say to everyone like if, if you're going to start a business just don't do this. And we know you need to be humble. What's the other thing you would say to people? Don't take out a loan straight away if you don't need it. <laughs> um, definitely. Don't be afraid to walk into the room and ask somebody who is better than you for help. Um, to reach out there because there's a lot of people who have imposter syndrome. Like they don't believe they deserve to be in the room in the first place. And they're seeing people who are successful and if you're right, I can't even talk to this person because they are probably doing seven figures and I'm just starting. And what do I have to offer and stuff like that? No, go and talk to them. They're human beings. Like their business is their business. But at the end of the day, you'd be surprised. I'm going to give you a quick side, um, side quest story, right? So when I was starting out in my business, I fell in love with Richard Branson. Like everything that he did that. He was my poster. Like, that's where I wanted to be. You want the life? Yeah, not just the life. I started to call myself the Black Richard Branson, yeah, because <laughs> I was calling it into existence. And I, I said to myself, no, I'm going to be bold. So I wrote a letter to Virgin Startups, right, about something that I wanted to do. So I wanted to create something, I swear to you, I wanted to create something in the desert where I, I'm not sure you remember David Blaine when he was in the um, in the yeah, thing for about for 40 days. Yeah. I wanted to do something very similar, and I wrote this to Virgin. I said, "Hey, look, I want to do something like this around entrepreneurship, and I want these messages to go round." And da da da. I was not expecting a reply. I swear to you, I just did it because I was just, I was just emboldened. I don't know what book I was reading, and Virgin wrote, wrote back and said, "Oh, we would love to have a discussion about this." Really. Thank you. The same thing I said. I said, well, I don't, I did not see what I put down. And I was like, did I, I didn't even message him back. I didn't even reply back. I was like, I was dumbfounded that because I thought it was a wild idea. They're not going to pay attention. It's virgin, but they did. And it literally, I shared this story just to show to people that people are willing to listen if you're willing to ask the question. And it's literally to go out there, ask people for help. Like, humble yourself and just ask as many people and just be prepared as well just don't ask for the sake of it because you've heard me say it but know why you're asking and what is it that you're really looking for and have a vision and plan for that as well isn't that that saying asking shall receive or something like that yeah from the bible yeah oh, right. yeah I, I, I normally use a different one which is like a, a crying baby gets what he needs 
So if you need something, you just need to cry a bit. We need to ask people, hey, can I... I like that. I'm going to store that one for myself. (laughs) Before you came here, we were actually having a conversation because Ricardo's background is in sales. Mm. My background is, again, helping people. That sounds so bad. It's not like you're selling and giving people all this stuff, but Mm. it's supporting those that don't have... It's It's Um, all about how do you... uh, help people to get to the next stage of their journey. And that's where we are in this building, obviously our whole working ethos, but also coming as a, a co-founder of another business, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And reaching out to people, as Dean said, just to say, can you help me with simple things? Even if we take into account this sponsorship, what sponsorship, what we're looking for for these events, it's like, how do you reach out to these people to say, can I just have some advice, some guidance? And I think that's the, that is the route to survival. Because nowadays, when you look on LinkedIn, you see these new influencers coming up saying, I am the now, I'm the new ultimate connector. Yeah. I'm here to help you. And that seems to be the new branding. It's I'm here to connect you. And everyone floods in like, can you help me? Can you help me? And they're like, nope, I don't have anybody in my books because I don't know who, who they have to refer them to. But it's, it's all about help and how do you really get there? And I, I like that approach because without helping others, you'll, you'll never really get anywhere in your life or your business. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I think that's spot on. It's also a dangerous one as well because sometimes mm. there's, uh, there's tit for tat in the UK economy. Mm. <laughs> but I, I guess the other question was is how did you get involved with Goldsmith University? And I guess if you want to go into a deep dive question, do they help you with your own business? Um, to answer your last question, yes, immensely. But how I got involved in with Goldsmiths is because honestly... I took this my journey. I've taken it. I've taken it very, very serious to be one of the best mentors within the UK. Um, 2018, I was awarded um, that title, like top five best business mentors within the UK, and again in 2022. So, kind of been recognised over the years of someone who takes my that mentorship serious, and. I have built up my brand. So for everybody starting out in business, everybody who's intermediate in business or whatever, you need to grow your brand equity within yourself and also within your business. And my brand, when people are coming to me and I'm talking and I'm being serious to you, that deputy mayors of of London and high influential people, I walk into the room and I say, and I say, hey, my name is Dean Williams. And I, I heard about you. And I was like, and my, my, my thing is, okay, what did I do wrong this time? But most times it's, it's actually good things. So my name now has weight across in regards to what I'm doing. So um, as I said, been on this journey for over a decade now. Before I joined Goldsmith, I was the SME champion for Southwark Council. And I was running the Startups in London Libraries program um, with some other great um, SME champions. One of them was Mark Burbeck from Lewisham Council and everything else. And when that program finished, he became the new business manager for Lewisham um, Council. And Goldsmith was thinking about starting and really ramping up their business section. And Mark goes, oh, Dean, you need to apply for this role. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to focus on my own business. Like, I'm done doing a seal. I built up my equity, my branding. I'm good now. I'm going to grow this business. And he goes, no, seriously, we can do some great stuff together. I'm like, Mark, leave me alone. So I left it alone, seriously. I wasn't going to apply for it. And then after, I think, a few days before the end date, he, I think he messaged me again. He goes, please, like, can you actually just apply for it? I was like, whatever, Mark. So I applied for it. And then when I went in there, I was really inspired by the vision of Goldsmiths and what they were looking to do. And 
even they were in the ideation stage themselves of their business models and that they were doing some things already. They had some great academics doing some stuff, but they couldn't really expand in the way that they wanted to because they didn't really have that business manager there. So I, I listened to them and I thought, wow, it aligns to what the hell I want to do. And I was like, and that's what really allowed me to say yes to Goldsmith because what I wanted to do, they wanted to do. But the great thing about them is that they were, they expanded they literally 10x what I wanted to do from to a global perspective. I just wanted to do it in the UK. They goes, no, 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 no. We're going to take this global. And that's what they've done. It's, it's interesting the story you told, you told us because I think sometimes people who are naturally born entrepreneurs, they will always be in a position where they need to create, right? Yeah. If they're working for someone else, then they'll be the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur. So they'll be the ones leading programs, creating new stuff within that business. Mm. If they're outside of the business, they'll be the one, you know, creating their own business and, and, and growing it. But I think people are just born with it, don't you think? Like with that desire to create something, to build something either by themselves or with someone else. Yeah, um, I feel everyone has a purpose. Um, everyone has a purpose in life. I say all the time, if a chair has a purpose, how much does a human being have? And regardless if you identify what your purpose are, what your gifts are, what your talents are, that's down to you in your lifetime. And I'm going to touch upon something um, in regards to being an entrepreneur. I don't believe everyone should be an entrepreneur. Um, I don't believe everyone has that necessary mindset to go through that trials and tribulations and the valleys of being an entrepreneur but i feel that some people are great at being seconds like you have steve jobs and then you have um steve wozniak um as his number two um and i feel that there's a lot of people okay have this grandiose idea but they have to be the person who starts it and the creator but it's like no wouldn't you rather have a piece of apple than none of it at all wouldn't you want to have a piece of Microsoft and have none of it at all? Of course you would. Um, and that's what people misunderstand, that you can be part of a great story and use your skills and talents to, to build up um, a vision which you may not have started, but because you're there, now it's going to come into fruition. And I think that we have this lazy-ass idea of, hey, you know what, I have to be that person. And it goes back to what you are saying um, earlier, Harry, this whole ego. It's about me. Like, I have to have this. No. It's about, can we create something which is going to leave a legacy? Can we create something, okay, that we can actually now live off and make sure, okay, that we can have an impact and fulfill pain points? You know, it's, we're recording this just, before, actually the day the, the Oscars uh, nominees came out. And it's interesting because a lot of times you have the best supporting actor. For, mm. And what's interesting about this is that sometimes the lead actor does not get an Oscar nomination but the best supporting actor gets an Oscar. Yeah, I like that. Goes, goes so exactly what you're saying, which mm. is you don't need to be the, the you know the, the front, the, the face of the thing. You can just be on the background. But if you do your job well enough, you still get all the rewards that you desire. So it's yeah. very important to have that perspective. I like that. Yeah, I'm a movie buff, so I like movies. <laughs> Moving on to something very interesting. You were telling us a story about your own podcast mm -hmm. and uh, how you managed to get a celebrity on the podcast. As well, so tell us all about that because I'm quite curious about this one. Yeah, so I've got um, so the Exclusive Visions podcast, Love Life and Business. That we did that, um, I shot that in 2000, uh, 2023, 2022, 2023. Um, so we were doing that from last year, and we did about 12 different episodes, and we got some very interesting people um, on there. Um, so one of the episodes was called The Real Top Boy. And not sure if you ever saw Top Boy, did the show and stuff, but this one was, he was from Hackney and he had a real story of 
guns and chases and stuff like that. Um, and we had that. Um, I had people from the Freemasons on there because everyone talks about the Freemasons, Illuminati and stuff. I said, like, let me talk to them. Let me actually have these people on here and let me hear it from there, from the horse's mouth. What's it really like? And some people, oh, they couldn't really tell you. I don't care. I had the Freemasons on there. I, I like to, I don't like listening to people. I like to find that thing to myself. What's the handshake um, for the Freemasons? They always got this weird handshake. Did you manage to find out? They've got multiple. They've got multiple handshakes. And then depending on, yeah, yeah, depending on the degree, then yeah. different handshakes as well. So they actually spoke about that as well. Um, but like I said, they were very informative um, about, as much as they, um, the question I asked, they asked all my questions, didn't duck anything, um, which was great. And then I had another one, Charlene Douglas. She was on the, um, the, the Channel 4 show. Um, she's still there. Um, that sex show on Channel 4. I keep forgetting the name. She, so we put in Charlene Douglas, it'll come up. I had her on there. And that was one of the most interesting and conversations around sex, about relationship, um, about different things as well. So um, having my own podcast was absolutely one of the best things that I've done. But it was so much work. <laughs> so much work and, I, and my team and, and I, it was like yeah um, they wanted to continue but I was like I can't do this plus everything else that I'm doing um, I'd just rather go on other people's podcasts shoot that and just use that content <laughs> well, we so thank you very much Ricardo winning this one, so. yeah <laughs> um, but yeah I, I guess what's interesting do you, do you have no, a question no, mm. no you, I mean um, we, we, were, we were recording the little snippets beforehand mm. that we're going to post on social media. And there were like amazing pearls of wisdom that came out of it. Um, I guess what I would like to ask is now that we're recording this and it's going on, you know, all the major things, what is the, it's not so much what's, what's the one thing, but when you talk with an entrepreneur, what questions do you ask to find out if they're for real or not? Like if, if it's some, you know, if they're actually going to deliver. Because we, we had this event that you organized in, in, in Lewisham in the library. Yeah. And one of the things you, you I remember you saying to the audience was, if I book a time with you, the only thing I demand you is that you actually show up and do what you're told, right? So what are the things you can always tell, you know, this guy's going to fail or that, that lady's going to fail? What was the thing? Yeah, so for me, and again, not so much focusing on the failure, but just knowing if people are going to stay the distance within the, within this um, realm of business and entrepreneurship. I know when a lot of people are not serious and I won't even invest my time with you um, based on certain things. It's like, number one, if you can't even show up for an appointment on time, which is about you and your business, I have no time for you. Unless there is like external circumstances which prohibited you to um, come on time and stuff like that. But it's just like, Honestly, if I say to people all the time, is how much do you value the thing that you really have? And when I ask people um, the simple question, if someone offered you a million pound today to be on time, would you have been on time? Of course I would have been. You probably would have been there an hour early to make sure, okay, that whatever needs to be done would be done. And I don't see people have that type of urgency. So for me, if people um, are poor with time, if um, people are literally just not willing to listen, if you really want to irritate me, cut me when I'm talking, um, keep telling me what the hell you're doing and keep telling me this is what you're going to keep doing after we finish talking as well. So I give you an example. I was speaking to somebody and I was, and they were telling me, oh, my business is not growing. I'm not getting no customers. And I was like, okay, cool. What are you doing? And they told me, oh, um, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm on all these different social medias. I'm like, okay, cool. But the social media platforms are you on, are your customers there? Mm. 
um, no, but I need to be on there. Okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, but are your customers there? No, 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 but you're not getting no um, interactions. I don't care about likes and stuff, not those glorified uh, metrics. Like, are you getting comments? Are people DMing you? Uh, like, are you getting real interaction with your... No, but I need to say, okay. This is what I would like you to do is literally just focus on two of your social medias for now. Let's create a planner strategy. Oh, but what about the others? We're going to put them to one side for a moment and we may, may visit them later on. Well, I'm not going to do... Okay, you know what? We're going to cut this right now. Like, uh, I'm not going to cut to who this person was. Um, I interrupt Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but... Literally, I cut that um, conversation, say, look, I am not the best person for you. And then I will signpost you somewhere else. Like, cool. Like, I understand I'm not for everybody. But if you're that type of person, you're poor with time, you're not going to listen. And then the last one, that you're not going to implement. <sighs> Ricardo, you, you set me off, man. Okay. <laughs> no, this is yeah. Here. One of the things, Akiva, I can't stand about people. I call them um, workshop holes. Okay, and sorry if that is not politically correct on your platform, right? But that's what I've coined it, is where you see these people on every, you see them in every workshop. You'll see them in like everyone's workshop, not just yours, they'll go to your competitors, they'll go abroad, they'll go to everyone's workshop, but yet they're still in the same position. We like, did one of our events, don't we? Yeah. Same yeah. Like, this is a great event. Next yeah. day, I went to a better event. Yeah. They come back to us. This is okay. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, that's all wonderful. But have you implemented anything that you have learned? Like, have you tested any of the concepts, any of the learnings? Have you um, made anything true for you and your business? And it's like, oh, um, I haven't done it yet. I need more information. No, you don't. You you probably could write a book on this. You're probably better than most of the experts now yeah. because all the workshops you, you've attended. Do you think they're scared? <sighs> scared to fail? It's that, that, that perfectionation um, concept okay, that people have. That, oh, I need, to get, I need to be like ideal before I get started. No, you don't. It's like you need to be, you need to get started before you actually know how to, uh, you need to get started so you know the necessary things you need to be adapting and changing and refining within your business model. So there's a lot of people, as you've quite rightly um, just alluded to, that people do have this imposter syndrome. People are afraid to fail and people have this concept that they need to have all their puzzles and pieces in place before um, they really can get started. But it's just, again, it's a cop-out, it's an excuse. And as my mentees tell me all the time, um, an excuse only sounds good to those who are making it up. So if, if we, let's take it for a reverse role and let's say, mm -hmm. tell us about Dean, Dean's the mentee on this side. How would you manage your time? Because one, you've got obviously your business advisory role, Goldsmith, the fact that you've got your own book, your own business coaching agency and brand, and you know, I'm, I'm guessing quite a few other bits and pieces in the background. How do you manage your time? They're probably quite nice if they're listening to actually get an understanding about, okay, from the person who's coaching me, how do you actually manage it? Beautiful question. Um, number one thing that I learned how to do is to upskill myself as a leader. And as a leader, you need to learn how to, one, delegate. You need to learn how to articulate your vision. And number three, you need to learn how to build um, a team. So these are like the first things that I had to do is learn how to be a leader and an effective leader that produces outcomes. Because um, a lot of people are in business, you're not leaders. Um, and it's a skill that you do need to refine. Um, for me, is learning how to delegate. That's an art. Oh my goodness. Okay, learning how to delegate and delegate well. 
So that's not just you telling someone what to do is, are you able to identify who is the right person to do that task and then see, okay, does that person actually need to be trained as well? Um, so delegation is, there's like a whole process to really be able to get delegate. And are you following up? Are you checking in? Are you ensuring okay, that whoever you delegated to have all the necessary um, resources in place to get that task done to um, the way that you wanted it to? And then number three is very, very, very important. My mentor said this to me all the time. He said it from the very beginning. My mentor said, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to shut up. You have two ears. You have one mouth. Use it proportionally. Yeah, we need to learn how to effectively listen. And I'm talking about, as I just said, if you like having a mentor, having a team, um, like being part of a community, that listening skill that somehow, okay, we just seem to be losing. And like, again, I'm just going to blame social media. Um, but listening, just learning how to listen to yourself as well. It's so important that intuitive stuff that goes alongside running a business that because we don't know and how to listen to ourselves, we do stupid stuff. But if you took that time to really listen to yourself, said, should I really be doing that? More times that intuition is right 99% of the time. Okay, so that's, it's all about, as you said, intuition, listening to yourself and asking. What I like to do is I always like to listen. And Ricardo quite notices I, I don't say a lot, a lot of the time. <laughs> it's probably the first podcast where I actually am saying quite a few things, mm. but... I just like to ask questions. I don't know if it's because there's yeah. so much information to digest, but it's, it's, it's also ask stupid questions, but then some questions that shouldn't be asked at the same time. But I did want to throw it over to um, an interesting bit you mentioned. Um, not many people listening to this would be familiar with Lewisham Council and the work that you've been doing. Mm-hmm. And Lewisham is quite, I would say, compared to other boroughs out there, it's a bit, it's a bit less, well, more deprived in regards to, one, it's up and coming, Two, there is funding going into there at the moment, but three, it's a, there's a big incentive around there to get people back into work and creating new businesses. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what you're finding in Lewisham? Like what are the pain points and what are some of the things that you can see are gonna happen in the next 10 years to, to kind of improve everything? Yeah, Lewisham is a very, very interesting borough. Um, it has one of the highest um, African and Caribbean population within the UK. And it's doing a lot right now to refine itself. And it, it wants that. I like Lewisham's vision as it wants to be the number one place for SMEs to be. And it is investing that time and effort to re- really make it happen. And I, I love it when people just don't talk and they back it up with action and back it up with finances and resources to make these things happen. So um, I was, I'll say I, but Goldsmith was awarded, um, I'm, I'm going to say myself as well, was awarded a contract recently, the Business Visiting a Growth Program to run on behalf of Lewisham Council to support SMEs towards growth. And this is at just one of the things that Lewisham have going for it. They have other initiatives um, but they're putting out there. So they've got the um, the BIP centre, so the, um, they're in partnership with the British Library, where businesses can get um, support from Catford Library, um, access great platforms like Cobra, which is the, um, oh, what's the Cobra stand for again? The Continued Business Reference Advisor. Um, it allows, it's like Google for your business, basically. And you can go to um, Catford Library or you can access these things from home. So there's some great resources out there that um, is available right now within Lewisham. And they are doing a lot 
they are investing within their community. They're investing within their buildings. They're investing within the directly with the people, and the um, the people and the businesses as well. So there's a lot going on within Lewisham. I'm loving the fact that like, they're backing it up um, with not with just words, and they are backing it with a lot of action. So how does this compare to the other boroughs? Would you say where would you kind of position Lewisham in regards to its vision, its next steps? Where do you kind of see it being in the I guess ten years and I guess that's hard. That's hard because other I'm seeing a lot of other boroughs really stepping up. Apart from Croydon, Croydon <laughs> <laughs> needs to step your game up a lot. Um, but um, like I'm, we're doing work. Like so, since I said, since I've been in Goldsmith, Goldsmith is doing the most right now. So right now we're, we're literally breaking history in Goldsmith in regards to the work that we're doing. Like we're about to enter into Medway. Um, we're in Southwark right now, running a different program in Southwark. Where now we just got another um, um, project in Bromley, which now we're running in Bromley. Um, so we're we are getting about. We're, we're we're in talks with other councils as well to run new business program. Um, where de- we've developed um, a new AI program as well, which is going to be launched um, later this year. So which is going to allow us to go to other organisations and boroughs. But the boroughs around London. All of them have their own type of culture, own type of systems and beliefs. So it's a lot like Hackney, where I grew up, flipping heck, it's not the same place. Um, where, where I grew up, like, we didn't even quit Hackney, we quit Crackney. Um, because you can walk down, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crackney had, had had its own little atmosphere. You can go down different roads and there's a crackhead definitely down in the road and stuff like that, or something else happening. Now it's been, I, I like gentrification. Um, Hackney has definitely been gentrified, and it's to me it's totally different. The energy, um, the, the the whole look and feel of Hackney is totally different, and I like it. Um, it's more affluent. Um, it's it's bringing in a new vibe, new business, um, a new sense of community. So for myself personally, every borough um, is going through a change, and I think this is going to be good in the next ten years. So what are the biggest problems you're kind of seeing at the moment? Because again, with I wouldn't say problems, but with, with Lewisham itself and all these companies, companies, all these SMEs that are starting up during pre-COVID, mm. a lot of them seem to be food businesses that are looking for support with, uh, I guess, the universities <coughs> and the local councils as well. Where are you kind of identifying innovative approaches? Because I know we came down to some of the events you're running at the same time a few months ago, and a lot of them seem to be food orientated, and there wasn't a huge amount of like innovative or disruptive technologies. Is it about supporting the local businesses and food? It, such as food and you know restaurants and all that, or is there a big emphasis on innovative? You know, oh, no, Lucian is definitely is is hella innovative. Um, remember, as I said, every um, borough has its own culture. And as I said, Lewisham moving itself, I said, it's got the highest population of African and Caribbean people. So their culture is going to be around food and stuff like that. But they, it does have, it's, it has a tech network as well. So right now, this is, everyone's just growing, especially, I'm not going to more focus on Lewisham. It's now really focusing on these businesses and getting them to a point where they're hiring local. Um, they are engaging the youth and everything else. So, if you're going to, like, for example, if you're going to go down Canary Wharf or areas around there, um, especially like near Tower Hamlets, there's a lot of, and Shoreditch and stuff, you're going to see a lot of tech businesses around there because that's the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
wherever you go, you just need to be mindful of, okay, you know what, what is the culture of this area? What is predominantly going to be like the main focus of the, this community? So if you want to see a lot of tech in Lewisham, you're not going to see that. You're going to see a, a diverse creative, um, a lot of creative stuff happening um, within Lewisham. So, yeah. It's funny because we we're talking about food entrepreneurs, but the simple reality is if you launch a food business or if you launch a tech business, you're still in your essence an, an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, definitely. You're still going to go through exactly the same type of struggles. You're going to face the same challenges. You're going to call it different names. Of course, yeah, you know, if, you're, if you're running a food, a food business, you might have a challenge with your supplier of fries. And if you have a tech business, you might have a challenge with your supplier of, of um, cloud storage. But you're still going to have the same type of challenges, right? And when we look at people that come from, 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 from outside, like, like I come myself, I think that the most natural thing to do and that everyone can kind of do is let's create some food. Let's, 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 let's cook something because you can always find the ingredients. It's very easy to start yeah. a business like that. And I think it's, it's a really positive thing that they're getting so much support, right? Overall, it's, it's good because you launch your mm. business and you can, you know. I'll say on that question there, just to kind of go on with the food and the tech businesses, they are, they are similarities to some extent, but I would say from the very early stages, there's a big difference in regards to kind of setup and, and the whole approaches. And a big one is SEIS and EIS is a, a big kick in the bum for a mm. lot of people because I think it was around five and a half years ago, that a lot of people were actually taking advantage of that scheme, food businesses, accountants, building firms, mm. because they could actually go in there and get half of the money back essentially. And now they've made it very, very strict. So that would be the only way I would say is the main difference between all of that. Yeah, that would be a big difference, yeah. But I'll say in regards to what you've noticed, and this is something Ricardo and I have always had conversations around is, what is the average age of an entrepreneur? And that would be quite interesting what you've noticed, because I think Ricardo is always, oh, young individuals. I'm like, well, it's usually people in their 40s who are a bit more experienced, but what have you kind of noticed? To me, it, that the age is literally spread for me, because I've been on different programs, and over the last 10 years, I've seen from like depending where I'm at and what I'm focusing on that's what I get more of but overall like the sweet spot for me has been between 25 and 35 years old that has been like the sweet spot um for myself yeah you do get a lot of people from universities coming out want to start the business especially now anyway um 10 years ago it like being an entrepreneur was still like that word wasn't even really used that much like to now like everyone's a bloody entrepreneur um so that like, right now yeah that age group 25 to 35 for me is is the ones who are really breaking out in all different industries what do you think is that because uh, i know if you go and speak to individuals at let's say the dwp which is the department of work and pensions and the job centers they put a huge initiative out there i think around a year ago about getting over 50s back into work do you see any over 50s actually looking at setting up businesses or really doing all that as well? Oh, definitely. Um, I see all, all ages. Um, I think the oldest person I had was like 70 something years old. Uh, retirement. Yeah, <laughs> past retirement. So yeah, I, I, I don't feel that you can start a business at any age. Like, I don't think there's an age limit. Um, like I know eight year olds who have started businesses um, and doing very, very well actually. Um, and I said, I know eight people- year olds. Eight, yeah eight-year-olds like uh, start their own business like they've got their own brand books they've, they've written like authors they've got their own books out there they've got their own bags they've created um new toys um that represent their culture and stuff like that um not just in general um there's there's a um, i, I tell the organization ultra academy 
So if you look at Ultra Academy, they focus on helping young um, people from the age of eight to 15 years old to start their own business. So there's great initiatives um, out there already. And literally just to answer your question, um, Harry, is there is a wealth of support now like never before. Like there's so many great organizations where people can actually drain for free or with little investment to be part of. Take your organization and start up events. Like people can come there for support and guidance and a great networking. There's Enterprise Nation, there's Virgin stuff. There's so much, but no one's better than Goldsmith because I'm there. Just for the plug that real quick. And people can go online, like YouTube University, like, Go on YouTube and you can like you can get a master's just by watching YouTube. Yeah, there's tons of free resources. Right? Tons like you've got Udemy, you've got Teachables. There's so much wealth to learn um, and start a business. So there's nothing really stopping you in this day and age. And as you said, access to finance is not that hard as long as you've got a strong business model um, to back that up. So you like just to start a business is great. Um, and that, like even crowdfunding. Like people can crowd, like you can crowdfund now for your money, and people are seeing that as a viable um, option um, to raise capital and things like that. And like to get to an investor now is ten times more easier than it was ten ten years ago because you can go straight on LinkedIn and connect yeah. to investors, and there's platforms to connect to um, investors. You said they're more pickier now, the investors, because uh, I think that was a question I would want to go back to: is your GoFundMe? Because uh, mm. I think that's something that you're very, well, you've kind of mentioned to us as well that. That's something you specialize in about creating GoFundMe campaigns that actually work. Because uh, I know a lot of people who do the GoFundMe and it never actually works. Like, what's, what's kind of the secret source behind that? Yeah, so I'm not too sure much how much time we have. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to make sure, okay, but I, because there's, there's so much, and that's a great question. To, why crowdfunding? Because I specialize in reward based crowdfunding. Um, and there's, there's different kinds. You've got debt based, you've got reward based, you've got equity based, and so forth. So I like reward-based, especially for um, the types of entrepreneurs I like working with. So there's great p- platforms out there like Kickstarter or Crowd um, Crowdfunder um, as well, where you can learn similar organizations and businesses who might have done the type of crowdfund which you are thinking of doing. So you can go on these platforms and see, do your research, and they also teach you how to do excellent crowdfunding. But I'm not going to give you my secret source because you got to pay me for that. But there are like... Does it cost a lot to actually do it? I think that's what... No. To do a crowdfund, time. Time. I want to stress this, okay? For you to do a crowdfunding campaign, okay? Any type of crowdfunding campaign, you need to have a team. You need to have a time. You need to be able to have a strong... You need to have a strong plan and strategy and stick to it. Oh, my goodness. So... When you're doing your crowdfunding campaign, the time is going to, it's like literally starting a business for a short amount of time and then starting it up and closing it off. And how I like to do it is in um, using a 90 day sprint. So we're planning for the first 30 days, then we're raising the third, um, so um, um, 30% within the second 30 days. And then we're launching in the last 30 days. So I use a 90 day sprint for the success of my, um, for my, my participants and my clients. And I have a over 90% success rate. Like I still believe it's one of the highest within the UK, literally because I will not work with you unless you have all the necessary things I've either identified that's going to make your um, crowdfunding campaign successful. But having, you need the time and you need a team. So definitely. Okay, that's quite impressive on that end because it's, uh, 
I think that's the one thing a lot of people struggle with is is kind of understanding that there's other options to funding mm-hmm. and go fund, you know, crowdfunding is a really really big one but I guess everyone thinks from my perspective especially I always thought you have to throw in 10 grand of PPC ads in other areas to really really grow it but I guess it's building a community is a, is a big thing around you it. need a community um, as I said once my secret sources, when you work with me, you see my secret source, you say, oh my goodness, this is this is amazing. Of course it is. It's taking me bloody seven years to figure all this stuff out. And I, I know if you can fulfill everything that I'm asking you to do, you're going to give yourself a sensational chance of succeeding. Um, as I said, I have the, the people who have failed around me have failed because they didn't listen. And they literally just proved my concept. They did exactly what I told them not to do and they failed. Um, but I still take that on as a loss to me um, because you was working with me. But honestly, it's just like, yeah, everyone, as I said, one of the guys I worked with helped him raise £50,000 to go to Harvard. Uh, he listened to the letter and he hit his target. So, um, and there's the other great organisations like Bottle Farm, one of the best ones I've done, they raised over £80,000. So you can go on Kickstarter, put in Bottle Farm right now and you'll see they raised over £80,000 for their crowdfunding campaign. So I do, I, I do some decent numbers with my businesses. So um, yeah, it works. This is quite impressive because in Kickstarter, I know for a fact there's a lot of companies that just charge to manage your entire campaign. Yeah. And then they go after their success rate. They say, okay, every company that launches with us, they always get funding. There's a lot of rules and regulations, but mm. for you to have that and be able to offer that to a lot of the businesses that come to you, it's, it's quite impressive, let's be honest. It's very, very impressive. It is, um, thank you. Um, as we're nearing the end of the, the podcast, mm. if people want to reach out to you, how can they do so? Yeah, LinkedIn is my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, connect to me on LinkedIn, Dean Williams. Um, if you put in Dean Williams exclusive, for some reason, I pop up first on everyone's thing. Yeah, I feel that's actually brilliant. So Dean Williams exclusive, I'll come up. But if you put in Dean Williams, I know come and just put it exclusive after my surname. And I promise you, I will be the, the, the sexiest black guy who comes up will be me. So that's there. Um, or just connect with me, um, Goldsmiths. So dean.williams at gold.ac.uk. That's the best way um, to do it. Or actually, um, dean.williams, uh, Dean Williams Mentor. Dot com. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you.